Welcome to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. Mosaic Church seeks to engage the modern age with the historic Christian faith. If you don't have a home church, please don't use this podcast as a substitute for being a member of a local community of faith. Whether you call Mosaic your home or not, we hope that you find this sermon convicting and encouraging in your walk with Jesus. Here's our lead pastor, Pastor Greg Brown, with this week's sermon. Whether you're, you're new here or you're, uh, you've been here for a bit, uh, you should know that we're in the book of Mark uh, for our sermon series. Really for, I, I think I said this last week, for the next probably year or so, we're going to continue in the book of Mark. Um, might go into 2023, depending on how we slice things. Uh, we're just kind of taking our time, right? Just methodically rolling through the book of Mark, the gospel according to Mark. And uh, I, I think it's, uh, just a wonderful thing that that we're doing this in this like sort of verse by verse format, and that's kind of the normal way that we like to go through books of the Bible here. The way we like to structure our uh, our sermon series, right? We love to to get together and go through these books of the Bible so that we can really attempt to understand the whole message of that book of the Bible. Of course, the downside of going through methodically like this and kind of slowly is that you tend to kind of lose some of the context sometimes. And so I want to sort of give us a little bit of a refresher real quick on kind of where we're at in the story so far. And I mean, really, like the main things that we need to know are sort of what is Mark's drive? Like, why is he writing this book? And then kind of what has happened just around the events of uh, the passage we're going to be in today. By the way, the passage today is going to be uh, Mark 6, 30 through 44. If you'd like to flip or tap there, uh, feel free to do it. Or... We'll have the, the verses up here on the screen if you would rather do that. So what's the, what's the point, though, of the book of Mark? Like, why did Mark write this? Well, w- if we look back, he gives us a good idea because he tells us right in verse 1, he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the whole purpose for the book. We ask, like, why, like what occasioned this writing? This is an occasional work. What occasioned this writing? Well, it's that Mark needed to get the gospel out. In fact, we, we think Mark was the earliest of all of the gospels. We think it was the first one written. And so he's urgently trying to, to, to put together a written format of like, this is what happened so that you can believe it. And the interesting part is, is that he talks about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's a very important phrase for Mark. And he spends, in fact, the first half or so of his gospel sort of proving this out. That's really been the point so far. And we're going to find us, ourselves on kind of the mountaintop of that today. We're going to see a, a creative miracle, right? Jesus has done some amazing things, some amazing miracles so far in the book of Mark. But this is one of those things that kind of stands out amongst the others, but before we get there, I want to kind of look back at the context, our immediate context of where we're at. Um, in Mark 6, 7 through 13, Jesus gathers the 12, who would be known as the apostles, and he sends them out to preach the gospel of repentance, and he sends them to, uh, to, to cast out demons and to anoint the sick and heal them. That's the whole purpose, right? He says, you 12, you are going to go out two by two and you are going to go do these things. You're going to minister in my namesake. We're going to get back to like how that went in the passage we're about to be in today. 
The other thing we need to know is that uh, meanwhile, sort of while these, the, the apostles were going in and out, Herod's birthday party happened. It's kind of a bad party because it ended with John the Baptist's death. It's where Herod gets a bunch of his buddies together. They all get drunk and he promises something he shouldn't to a, a young girl who does a questionable dance for him. That's all, I'll leave it there because the kids are in here. This is kind of what's going on in the context. And we, before I get into the rest of the passage, we know that Jesus hears the news of John's death just before all of this happens. It's quite the interesting way to kind of set up the story here. And so today we're going to read Mark 6, 30 through 44. Uh, and hopefully that helps you to get a little bit of context for where we're at. Why don't you guys stand with me as we read God's word. We do this here at Mosaic because we want to respect the word of God. Uh, you know, my, my preaching is fallible, but this is not, and so we stand for that. Mark 30, starting there, Mark 6.30, sorry, says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them and ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore and saw a great crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give, them, give it to them to eat? He said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to sit down, all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces into the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes this morning. Help us to see the compassion of Christ met with his divinity. That, Lord, we might see how your compassion for us and your, your power to work salvation is foreshadowed by this passage. Help us, Lord God, to trust you to provide in all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So we're going to kind of pick back up here from, from verse 13, right? Jesus sends out the, the apostles. He calls them apostles there. Really, uh, the second time that word is used in, uh, in the book of Mark, he calls them apostles because they're now actually sent ones. They are ones who have been sent to do the good work of ministry by Jesus. And so he calls them apostles there. And they re report back. They come in and they report back in, the, in these first couple of verses, it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught, right? So they're coming back on this like missionary journey high. 
right? They're like, Jesus, check out all the awesome stuff that we did. We taught them this like you taught us, and then we cast out demons like you did, Jesus. We, we healed people. We anointed them with oil, and, and they got better. How, like, how awesome is that? Right? They're super excited. I'm sure that some of them came back and they were like, man, we went to these two towns and we had to shake the dust off our sandals. Like that was, a, that was an absolute miserable failure. There, maybe some of them were a little bit uh, hurt by that, right? It's, but everybody's sort of coming back kind of excited, pumped up that Jesus had given them this kind of power, this kind of authority to go and to do this kind of ministry. Such a wonderful experience to have done the, the ministry that God has commanded you to do and to, to, to come back and report the good work that God had done through that, right? Such a wonderful, wonderful privilege. And so they come back and they're, they're excited. And then Jesus says to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. The first thing I want you to see here this morning is just the compassion that Christ has for his, uh, his apostles, his disciples here. He knows what's going on. They're excited. They're pumped up. They're sort of laser focused. They're, you know, they might be asking questions like, how long does this power last? Jesus, can we like, do we need to get out there and use this? Is this like a 24 hour pill? Or like, is this like a six month shot that like, I've got this for a while. Like, we need to get out there and make this happen. We've only got this much time, whatever it is, right? And he's like, we got to get out there and make this happen. But, but, but Jesus is like, whoa, 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 hold on a second, take a breath, right? You guys are excited. That's good. We, we're, we want you to, to be excited here, but like, we need to take a breath for a minute because he sees what's happening. He's like, these guys are going to flame out. He's like, wait a second. You need to chill it back just a little bit, not because there's not a, a lot of great ministry work to do. There is, but you just, you need to take a minute, come away with me to a desolate place and recharge for a second because you can't flame out. I need you to do this work that's before you and it's going to be a long trek. So I need you to come away with me for a moment and just relax for a minute. I mean, like I said, this, this was a, an interesting mixture of emotions here, right? So not only are the apostles super excited about what's going on, but Jesus is struck with grief and heartache over the death of his cousin, John. Like he's, he hears about this and he is struck with this. And in fact, in, in another gospel, he, he, he says, like it says that, that he was, was heartbroken enough to go away by himself for a while. He needed that solitude to process the grief that he felt. And so there's this strange mixture here where Jesus is like, hey, I need some time. You guys are about to flame out. You need some time. We all need to get together. Maybe we mourn John's death for a minute. We can celebrate your successes, but we need to get away for just a moment. We see here in these first couple of verses even the necessity of rest even when there's ministry to do. Look, I'm not saying that laziness is a thing, right? No Christian should be lazy. There's a good theology of work in Christian ethics. But there is time for rest. Sometimes we work so hard that we think that we are our own gods. We're providing for ourselves. We, we go, well, nobody else is going to do it, so I'm going to do it. And we, do, we forget we can trust God for a moment when we want to focus on the better things. Jesus saw the importance of rest not only for himself, but for his apostles. 
I'm not talking about like just taking a moment to, to you know, veg out on Netflix or, or you know, scroll your Instagram feed or whatever else. Like that's, that's entertainment. It can be restful if it's intentional. But a lot of the times it's sort of just switch off your brain wasting time, right? Rest, however, the best forms of rest are focused and intentional. Jesus was saying, come away with me so that we can have fellowship together without the pressures of ministry, without that pressure of public ministry. Come away with me for a moment. Maybe we worship together. Maybe we have this intentional downtime together. We, we study, you know, then the Old Testament scriptures. Maybe Jesus would teach them something for a moment, give them some insight so that they could feed on him. Right? This, there's this necessity of rest that we see here and the compassion that Jesus has, despite all their excitement, despite all the people who needed to be ministered to and healed, he said, hold on a second, come away with me for a moment. A lot of the times we, we end up getting you know, roped into the sort of, I, I wouldn't even call it a Western mentality, it's just sort of a worldwide thing now of like everything goes toward work right? Like we are working constantly. I, I know like, I, Brandon can testify to this. I'm a workaholic, right? Like I, you know, my name's Greg. I'm a workaholic, right? <laughs> Thank you. Um, right? Like I, I don't know how to slow down sometimes, but I need it, right? Like I'm not saying that, there, that if, you, if you're fighting laziness, that's a whole different thing. But if you're, if you're kind of like me and you're like, I don't know how to shut it off, maybe it's time to take a moment to rest? What if we stopped looking for entertainment and we started looking for rest in worship, right? This moment that we have on Sunday mornings is an incredible thing that we get and it is rest. We call this the Christian Sabbath. It's the Lord's day. It's a moment of rest for God's people. Look, the reality is that if you aren't resting, you're not going to be very effective at helping others. If, if you're starving, you're not going to be able to feed other people. All right? You need good intentional rest and, and especially rest in Christ. Parents that have, have kids that are here or not here, like how are you teaching your children if you spend no time with Christ, if you spend no quality time with him, resting in him, not, not as, a, as a rote thing that you have to do for five minutes this morning and you're setting a time, not like that, no, like real honest to goodness relational time, reading his word and praying and spending that time in worship to him. If you're not doing that, how are you feeding your kids? If you're not resting in him, how can you teach your kids to rest in him? The same is true for those of us without kids. Like the people around us need us to be able to, to give them what is growing in our own hearts. We need to rest in Christ. We need that time alone with him so that we can do the work of public ministry. But this isn't really the, the only place that we see Jesus uh, exercising compassion in this, this whole passage. It's really just sort of an inkling of compassion. You see compassion toward the, the, the apostles and he's like, well, you need to come, come away with me, rest for a minute. I, I wanna do what's best for you. Hold on just a minute. But that's kind of gets cut short a little bit. In verse 32, it says, they went away in a boat to a desolate place by, by themselves. And then verse 33, 
Now many of them saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Man, this is, this is true compassion here. I, I, I want you to, to kind of picture this in your mind. Like I, I said this last week, narratives are fun because you get to picture what's happening, right? Like the, the epistles are great. I love them, but like the, these narratives, you can see it in your mind, right? So picture that. Picture that, that you're one of these people that's, that's going after Jesus here. They, you see him get into the boat to go off somewhere with his disciples and, and you're like, but no, like I, I, don't, I don't know how to, how to be anything without what he's got. I don't, I don't know how I can live without what Jesus has. I, I, I find myself like desperate for whatever it is he will give. Right, This moment of like, I can either stay here in my hometown, I can sit in my house, I can, I can go back to my family, or I can grab the whole family and we can run after Jesus. We can be desperate enough to run along the coastline. Can you imagine this? Running along the coastline, watching the, the boat that they were in, going along the coast, trying to find a place to be, and you're just outrunning the boat. I couldn't do it. I don't know. <laughs> Some of y'all are fitter than I am. But just running, just running after him. These people were desperate. They had gotten a little taste of what it meant to be pastored, what it meant to be shepherded. And they were like, man, I need that. And so they ran after Jesus. Is that you? You claim Christ. Do you run after him? Do you see him as the good shepherd? I hope you will at the end of this sermon. Jesus looks at them and he sees this desperation. I mean, I'm sure that many of them were like panting by the end of the journey, just exhausted from what had just happened. But they were finally there. Jesus had acquiesced and he was like, okay, I'm here. We're going to do this thing. A couple of things that I think you need to see here is that despite knowing his apostles needed rest and despite needing rest himself, Jesus saw the opportunity that God had presented him with, like God the Father had wrought for him. He was like, this I've got to do. Sometimes there are things that will interrupt your rest and there are things that are important enough to interrupt your rest. Sometimes ministry pops out of the blue and you're like, that I need to do. And that's how Jesus saw these people. He was like, the, my, my apostles need to rest for a minute so they don't flame out, but these people are starving. They're absolutely starving. They're leaderless. When it says that they are sheep without a shepherd, this is a reference to Numbers uh, 27, 17. I didn't put it in my notes. Do I have it up here? Okay, let's do that. Uh, oh yeah, starting in verse 16. Uh, Moses prays this prayer. Let the Lord, the God of the, uh, of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. It's important. Jesus is saying this has happened. Well, for a time, the people were shepherded by people like Moses and Joshua, they had lost the shepherd. They, they weren't being shepherded anymore. 
What does that mean? That means that they were leaderless. They, they were not being led appropriately. They, they had these spiritual leaders who led them astray even. And then you have people who are starving. That is another like, main thing that a shepherd does is he leads his sheep, he protects his sheep, and he feeds his sheep. He leads them to green pastures. We read that this morning in Psalm 23. This is the good shepherd. He provides for his sheep and he says, these people are starving. My apostles are tired, but my people are starving and I need to feed them. This is compassion. Jesus couldn't turn them away. Like I said, they were starving for solid teaching. This is really like a good parallel for what we are in today. Uh, in fact, I, don't, I, don't, I hope you don't mind me calling you out, Ben. Like, we were talking about this the other night, right? Like, there is a, there is a famine in this, this world, especially in the Western world, where people don't know what they believe, right? They, like, they're, they're just starving for good doctrine. And this is what was happening with these people. They were like, Jesus has the teaching that we need. We need to go after him. We need to hear something from this man because he has something the Pharisees don't. Maybe they didn't even know what it was, but they knew that it was real food rather than just the junk food that the Pharisees were feeding him. I mean, do you, do you feel then, when you, when you read this passage, do you feel the same degree of passion or compassion for those who are starving today in our world? I'm not talking about physically. We'll get to the physical part. Theologically, I, this has actually always been my, my, this isn't in my notes at all. Of course, I don't have any notes today, but here we are. This has always been sort of my, my passion for the church. Like, I've seen too many people starve while they sit in church. And I've always felt a, a, a deep draw toward the de-churched, toward the, the cultural Christian, right? Like, because I see them starving like this. Like they think that what they're doing is right and nobody's telling them any different. And that worries me. Perhaps we should, we should be a little bit more passionate about inviting people to gospel-believing churches. I've said this before. Like I, I've had plenty of conversations recently, like different people come in and out. I tell them, like at our first conversation, most of the time, Ben, I didn't do it for you. Sorry, man. Uh, like if this isn't the church for you, I will help you find a gospel believing church somewhere in the area. I will do everything that I can to find that and make that happen because I care more that you're plugged in to a Bible believing church that embraces the true gospel of Jesus Christ than I am about you being a part of this church body. I want you here but I want so much more for you to know the Jesus Christ of the Bible and for you to embrace him as Lord and Savior. This is true compassion that Jesus had. And Jesus saw that they were, they were starving spiritually. We're going to get to the physical part in a minute, but man, that's a, that's a huge thing to think that that these people don't have any clue what's, what's going on, how, this, how they're supposed to interpret the scriptures. All they have is a bunch of traditions that they're holding to that have no real weight to them at all. It's, it's just a, a facade. I mean, we see this today all the time. Jesus was compassionate toward the needs of the masses. 
especially their spiritual needs. Verses 35 through 38, it says, And then it grew late. Sorry, when it grew late, grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a, desi- a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to the surrounding countryside and the villages to buy for themselves something to eat. And he answered, then you give some, them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And they found out, and they said, five and two fish. Man, what a disappointing moment. Man, can you imagine that? Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Oh, man, that's just a crazy thing. But let me, let me step back for a moment. I, wanna, I want you to see that not only does Jesus care for the spiritual needs of the people who are, are sitting there in front of him, he cares for their spiritual needs because that's a very important, if not the most important thing, but he also understands that they are people, not just disembodied spirits. And so the, the, the disciples come to Jesus and and they're exercising the same kind of, of compassion that Christ has, and they're going, these people are going to need something to eat. Like, they're, they're not just disembodied spirits. They, they, they aren't just minds for, for you to fill up, Jesus. And Jesus is like, I know. <laughs> we're, we're good. In fact, in, uh, in the book of John, uh, this whole exchange is, is a little bit more detailed, and I love it. Because, like, he goes to, uh, he says to Philip, he says, like, Philip, you find them something. He's, like, pointing Philip out. And I'm like, I feel bad for Philip. In that moment, like Jesus is like, yeah, no doubt. They need something to eat. Go find something for him to eat, Philip. And Philip looks at Jesus like, Jesus, didn't you have a plan before you like sat down with these people until like 10 o'clock at night? Y'all think my sermons are long. Like Jesus, like, but of course Jesus was a lot more interesting than I am. Um, But like, man, can you imagine that? Philip goes up to Jesus and he's like, hey, we need to get to these people something to eat. And he's like, go get something for him, Philip. And I love that, like, I, I think it's an, another apostle, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, that finally goes like, okay, my brain's firing a little bit. We could problem solve this. We're going to need about 200 denarii, Jesus. Do you know how much two, 200 denarii is? It's 200 days of wages for a single person. It's about the, the going rate. Right? Like, that's, you know, what is it? A little bit less than or a little bit, what is that, a little bit less than two-thirds of a year, something like that, of salary for a single person. It's a lot of money to have just laying around, right, to have, like, cash on hand, right? And in fact, it's interesting because Jesus had sent the, the apostles out with nothing previously. In the, in the beginning of this chapter, when he sends them out, he's like, don't take any money with you. You know, it's fine. Like, we're going to, like, you know, God's going to provide. It's, it's going to be okay. And he sends them out, right? I don't know if that's because they didn't have much money on hand, or what, but like, they definitely seemed incredulous. They're like, are we really supposed to take 200 denarii and go out and buy this kind of bread? Such an interesting thing that, that happens here that, that when, it, when they say 200 denarii, you have to think about this like a little bit like piecemeal here. 200 denarii is a big amount of money, all right? Judas is over here skimming off the top. So like, we might not even have that on hand. And guess what else is going on? Like they're going, okay, if there's a, like a loaf of bread that we could buy, just do the math with me, right? A loaf of bread maybe costs, what, a hundredth of a denarii maybe? I don't know what, it would, what a loaf of bread would cost, but like it's got to be cheap, right? Bread is usually cheap. 
So now they have a supply problem, even if they come up with the money, because they've got to go to all the surrounding villages and try to buy up all the bread that they can possibly find to feed all of these people. And we'll get into the number of people that was actually here in just a minute. But let's just suffice to say that would have been a lot of bread. <laughs> like a lot of bread. It was going to be really difficult. And really, like, what was going on here was uh, with this, the, the idea of, like, getting this amount of bread, they were just going to get them a snack. Like, it wasn't much. You, you get, like, a slice. Or you get, like, you know, a little morsel of bread. It wasn't a whole lot here. Jesus understood that, that there, was, there was a need here, and his disciples understood that there was a physical need here. And dis, Jesus wasn't, wasn't discompassionate about their physical needs. He was like, hey, we, we, need, to, we need to figure this out. And they come back and they, they say, okay, we've got five loaves and two fish. We probably could feed, you know, less than one full-grown man. Because in another gospel, we find this came from a little boy. Okay, like, let me put this on the right scale for you. This was a tin of sardines and some crackers, right? But like, it wasn't like loaves of bread. Like, you know, it wasn't a big loaf. It wasn't like the fishermen that were on the wharf had pulled in a whale that day, and that was their fish, right? There, there's no explanation here other than like, this is a little boy's lunch. And it wasn't like his meal for the whole day. It was just like a little lunch pail. And it, it's like, this is all we have, Jesus. Just an insane thing happening here. Let me just say this before we move on to the the, uh, sort of how Jesus lays these people out and then how he provides miraculously. Um, And I'm hoping this is going to wrap up to be a short sermon to balance for last week's. But I I want you to see this, that we tend to either be too concerned about the spiritual or too concerned about the physical. It's, it's often one or, the, one or the other, and we tend to like kind of rock back and forth. A, a lot of the times we see this in, in, in more liberal churches. They, they focus very much on the physical side. They, they want to feed people. They, like, they do all sorts of wonderful social work, right? There's some incredible stuff happening over there, right, in, that, in the, the sort of questionable liberal side of the church. Why is that? Like, well, they, they, they discount the spiritual, Right? They, they focus too much over here on the physical. But often, like on the other side of things in the, in the evangelical world, we lean the other way and we look at the spiritual needs of people and go, well, the physical doesn't matter anymore. We're not, you know, we're not about building houses. We're, we're, we're not about soup kitchens. We're about, you know, we, we just want to preach the gospel. Is the, like, it, are we going to preach the gospel today? Is this what we're going to do? When, when we, like, every time I, I think about this, like, I have this tendency in my own heart to go like, well, how do we reach people with the gospel? And I sometimes forget that sometimes the way to reach people with the gospel is to provide for their physical needs. Because sometimes you're just too hungry to hear somebody preach at you, right? (laughs) Like you need to have that need met in order for you to hear what that person is going to say. Jesus understood that he was preaching to whole people, not just spirit, not just body, but both. And God has every desire to save whole people. I want to remind you that at the end of all things, everyone is resurrected, body and spirit together again. And then judgment happens. 
everyone. God wants to save whole people. And Jesus sort of foreshadows that here by providing both for the spiritual needs through teaching and their physical needs through this miracle. But before he, he performs this miracle and the, uh, you know, this, this whole drama happens uh, with the, the five loaves and two fishes and, and, and then he goes into verse uh, 39, he says, or he commands them to sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. I won't spend a whole lot of time here, but this is an image hearkening back to how Moses organized the people of Israel in the Old Testament for government. He, he sat them down in groups of 50s and 100s so that they could appoint elders and, and leadership and things of that nature. And, then, and so Jesus comes along and he first sets them down in the same organizational pattern. This is important because we're going to get to how Jesus provides in a minute, but well, I'll just go ahead and lay the cards on the table. Jesus provides, just like Moses did, Moses provided manna and quail. Jesus provided bread and fish. He was showing himself to be the greater Moses, the one who was promised to come, the, one, the, the, the prophet, the better prophet that Moses even talked about that said was coming after him. He was saying, I am that one. Let me show you in all the ways that I can that I am the one that you've been looking for. And so he sets them down, interestingly, on green grass in the middle of the wilderness. I don't know how this worked. Some commentators say this is sort of an image of, of them being planted in rows like a garden, like a restoration of the Garden of Eden. I don't know if I completely buy that. It's a little bit of a stretch, but I like it. <laughs> but he sets them down. And he says, I'm going to provide just like Moses provided for the people of Israel. And so in verses 41 through 44, he does this. Verse 41, it says, And taking the five loaves, the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he provided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. What a crazy statement. That, that verse is short, and I like that they just kind of cut that like that. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I want you to see here, after the compassion that Christ felt for the people, his miraculous provision for those who pursue him. This miraculous provision for, for, of Christ for his sheep is, is something you can't pass up. We see this in the, in the beginning of Mark chapter 6 in, in verses 7 through 13. Jesus sends them out with nothing and says, it's okay. Like, essentially, like, it's okay. We're, like, God is going to provide for you. It's, it, I, I'm with you. Even though I'm not there with you, I'm with you. And it's going to be okay. You're going to have everything that you need. And they probably could have come back and gone, well, you know, that's kind of a, a, like a nice little coincidence. Like people were nice to us sometimes. Or when we shook the dust off of our sandals because one town didn't believe us, the next one did. So we didn't have to walk that far. How cool is that? It's just sort of a nice coincidence, right? 
People want to hear what we have to say. How cool. They could have thought that. I don't know if they did or not, but they could have thought that. But when Jesus provides for this crowd, there is no question as to whether God provides for his people or not. You can't look at this and go, no, God doesn't provide. Yes, he does. It's right here. It proves the point. More so than, he, than it could have ever been proven with the 12, he proves it with these people. And this is the fun part. Because this says in verse 44 that these, th- those who ate the loaves were 5,000. What's the last word? Somebody look at it for me. Men. This isn't a general term. Okay? A lot of the time in the scriptures, we see uh, people like, like Paul, for example, will refer to the church as brothers. And what he really means is brothers and sisters, right? When he writes to the brothers, he's saying brothers and sisters. It's this sort of masculine term that means everyone in the church. That's not the word used here. All right. You might be getting ready to pick up what I'm laying down. These, there, there were 5,000 men here. How many women and children were there? Because he didn't just invite the men out. In fact, he didn't invite anyone out. Everyone came. Scholars estimate that there were 20,000 people in attendance here. 20,000 people. Do you have, know how many that is? Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of a, a visual. All right. That's 50 people, if I remember correctly. <laughs> I forgot to write down that. <laughs> I think that's about 50 people. That's a, about 250. All right. Keep going. That's 1,000. No, that's, I take, take that back. That's 500 people. Keep going. That's 1,000 people. 1,000 people. Hard to start counting now. What is that? 3,000 people. It's almost as many men as were there. And we're, all, we're all a little over halfway now. Keep going. 10,000 people is a lot. Can you count them? Can you start, like, can you, like, you could almost see individual heads until you get up to the, to the top. And then you start going, well, like, maybe I can see colors of shirts, you know? Now keep going. That's 20,000 people. Five loaves, two fish, that many people. That's bonkers. <laughs> That's some crazy stuff happening right there. This is a creative miracle. And I want to spend some time on that for just a moment. Think about that. It's a creative Miracle. Jesus had, had so far cast out demons, healed the sick. He had controlled the sea, right? Like wonderful, crazy, awesome things that only God could do. But then he takes it a step further. We say that, in fact, anyone that you ask that's either a Christian or an atheist will affirm this statement. The universe came into being from nothing. Whether it's, a, whether it's an atheist or a Christian, they will affirm this. The Big Bang was from nothing, right? Whether, and the Christian says, God created ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's the Latin term for it. God creates 
at the beginning out of nothing. And the same power is leveraged here in this passage. This isn't a situation where Jesus just sort of conjures up like some dust and he makes a bread loaf out of the dust and then transforms it. No, he takes nothing and makes it into something. This is crazy stuff. Like scientists say that the, the amount of matter and energy in the universe is finite. Not for God. He just goes and it happens. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. This is crazy stuff. You know what, you know what I love though? <laughs> like in the beginning, God created all sorts of wonderful natural things. Okay? Like just, just you can leave that aside. We'll, we'll, we'll do creation another day. But let, let's just go with that, right? Like he created all sorts of natural things. And you might think, okay, by the same power, it would be easy for God to, to create um, fish in the water, like living fish, because he did that before. It might be easy for him to create wheat for bread. But God creates a finished product. <laughs> this is crazy stuff happening here, right? Like, it's like, okay, I said it was like a can of sardines and a package of crackers. This is like actually like a little like tuna tin that God creates out of nothing, a finished product that human hands would have had to make, and then a, a loaf of bread that's been baked. They didn't even have to bake it. God just creates it out of nothing. How crazy. How awesome is that? That is the creative power that only God can wield. This is proving Mark's point from 1.1 saying Jesus Christ was the son of God. That is God the son. And he's exercising divine power that no one else possibly could. It is undeniable. If you take this passage to be true, and we do, then it is impossible for you to say Jesus was not God. He exercised a creative miracle. And so his divinity here and his compassion meet as he provides food for 20,000 people, not just a snack, but until they were full and they had leftovers. Wonderful thing, leftovers. I love leftovers. I mean, and, and there's 12 baskets. You can, there's a few different ways to slice that. It could represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, a little reference to Moses. Uh, it could be one basket for each of the apostles, also a representation of the 12 tribes of Israel. Or you can just go, like, this is the number of completion. Like, it's done. Like, we've, we've got these extra baskets, and that, like, it just shows how complete that God has made this. It's an incredible thing. It says 12 baskets full of stuff. This is this meeting of God's or of Jesus' divinity, his, his godness and his compassion. It's really a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of salvation, isn't it? Jesus looks upon their sad estate and he says, My heart's broken for them. I want to provide for them. And so God provides a way. 
If you believe in Christ, if you trust in Jesus Christ, then you are saved. He provides. It really is, it, like this whole passage, I, I was telling Pastor Brandon uh, you know, yesterday and today, like this has been a difficult passage for me to prepare because I think it's, it's kind of obvious. <laughs> right? Like it's there, like it's just right there. Like Jesus' compassion and his divinity just meet. And, it says, and he's saying, I will provide for my people, both spiritually and physically. The uh, London Baptist Confession of Faith um, of 1689 that we, uh, we hold to as a good summary of biblical doctrine uh, says this very succinctly uh, in, uh, I think it's chapter 5, paragraph 7 here. It says, uh, as the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures... So after a most special manner, it taketh care of his church and disposeth all of all things for the good thereof. Sorry for the bad old English there. What, he's saying, what the, the author here is saying and summarizing from Scripture is that God provides for his people. So actually, like, it's, I love that that's in there. Like, to, the, to the 17th century particular Baptists who wrote this, that was a core piece of doctrine. That God provides for his people. Now, does he always provide everything you could always want? No, he doesn't. But does he provide for your needs? Absolutely. We talked about this last week, talking about John going, seeing the headsman coming for him and wondering maybe like how he approached his death. I wholeheartedly believe that God not only provides spiritually for his people, he provides spiritual salvation, right? But he provides for his people here and now, temporally, as we are faithful to him. It's not a prosperity gospel problem here, right? That's not where we're at. I'm not saying that God's gonna give you a, a free car. What I am saying is that God will provide for your needs, whether that's, whether that's courage in the face of a circumstance or removal from that circumstance or take your pick, God will provide for his people. Not always all the time how you think he will, but always all the time how he knows he will. God provides for his people. And so today I, I, I would just beg you for a moment to think about the divinity of Jesus and the compassionate God who always provides. Are you living like God actually provides? Are you willing to take a moment to rest and put first things first? Are you willing to let ministry interrupt the rest when you see it's a higher priority and, and, and get at that? Are you, are you willing to be compassionate toward others? as God has been compassionate to you, even at your own expense, knowing that God will provide. That's hard stuff. That's a hard message, to, to, especially for relatively well-to-do Westerners, right? Like, nobody in this room is poor by the world's standards. Like, it's, sometimes it's hard to think of being so dependent, but it's a good thing. Put aside those, those maybe, maybe good things for the better things for a moment. Take time to rest, to, to read, to spend time in his word, to do ministry. Let that, that cost happen and know that God will provide. Matthew 6, 25 through 
Actually, I think I chopped it short. I think 31, am I right? 31 through 33 uh, says, Therefore, do not be anxious. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We need to be bolder, I think. We need to be a little bit more willing to suffer loss in a moment, just so that we can go like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that God will, will, will provide, that I'm going to survive this. The compassionate Christ who provided both spiritually and physically for thousands who followed him still provides for his people now. I want to encourage you today to pursue him and watch him provide. Thanks for listening to the Mosaic Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Mosaic, including location and service times, or to support us financially, visit our website at mosaicrva.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at Mosaic Church RVA. Remember, it's not about us, it's all about Jesus.